looking in the book this morning, book of Luke, and uh, also we're going to take up a morning tile, so as the ushers come forward this morning, and uh, I'll invite you as you, whether you do internal internet transfers, to take your hand, close your hand, no one can see your PIN code or your account number. And if you're bringing it physically, just take in your hand. Let's say together, Father God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that through the gospel, you make yourself known to fallen men and women in all the earth. I thank you that through my partnership and this offering I bring to you, you be glorified as your name is declared. And in this church, that you may reign in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9, please. Very intriguing passage of, of Scripture. Um, if you're turning there or not, it'll come up on the overhead. And also the next passage, if it can only come up verse by verse. Alright, so Luke chapter 18 and verse 9 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. <laughs> I just love that verse. Isn't it just like say everything? Why he spoke this parable was because some trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Or can I, if I have the NIV translation, it says, um, look down on everyone else. I, I like that. Can, can we have the, the NIV rather? Uh, it's, it's there, okay. Uh, and look down on everyone else. Okay, that's all. Just verse 9, please. Thanks, you can take that off. I just, I found that so intriguing that um, I think Jesus got up every day and just went out and thought, let me find some holy cows that I can shoot today. And he went out into the ministry and he loved the sinners. He loved those brought to him that were caught in adultery. He loved those who were bound in sickness that reached out for healing. But whenever he came across a religious spirit, whenever he came across those who had put confidence in themselves and in their righteousness and looked down on others, he must have thought to himself, lock and load. There's another cow coming down. And over the mountain you'd hear it. As another religious cow came down. And so much of Jesus' teaching, so many of his parables, so many of his, of his ministry was to untangle this, this religiosity that had come into the world that had misrepresented his father. Those who put their confidence in their own righteousness and looked down on others. I'll tell you someone else who had that same kind of ministry was the Apostle Paul. Now we read 
in Galatians where he rebuked Peter because Peter had slipped back under a legalistic self-righteousness, which is very easy, by the way. Peter was the one up on the roof and had this grand revelation. Peter was the one who had his ear chopped. Peter was the one that Jesus said, you are the rock on whom I'm building my church. Peter was the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost. It was that same Peter who after a while slipped back into legalistic practices and self-righteousness and, you know, looking down on others because of his great position in the apostolic ministry. And Paul rebukes him. Who's Paul? Paul's a skinny leg, bandy, bandy little ex-Pharisee, Sadducee, wouldn't see, couldn't see, that found his way, being persecuted, the churches, kicked out of the churches. He rebukes Peter the rock. I mean, we just say, oh, he rebuked Peter. All right. You go rebuke the Pope and see what happens to you. And it's just interesting how the gospel is so radical. This gospel of grace is so radical that one of the things that it has to torpedo is this whole self-righteousness. I do it my way. Um, If I can match up to these certain external things in my life, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, touch this, don't touch that, eat this, don't eat this, drink this, don't drink. If I can match up to these external criteria, somehow I get a sense of, of goodness and importance and the gospel of grace comes and untangles that deception so quickly and, and the beautiful aroma that's left behind, hopefully, is a non-judgmental, sincere, R to R humility once that arrogance is taken away. And it's been interesting when I came back from leave and I was chatting to a few people. I know Zip and Issa who aren't here this morning. They were just sharing a story with me about when his, her brother came down who's very worldly and very far from God and just how the love that God gave them for the brother. And there's almost like a, a nod and judge mental atmosphere in their home that was so conducive to him opening up and talking. And we got going and we said we had a very similar experience ourselves over, over Christmas. We had some family invite us into the home uh, sisters of ours who live right here in the city who we haven't seen for 10 years. They live a very different lifestyle to us. They're in, deep into very frag, flagrant sinful life um, that felt very judged by us. You know, because we use Romans 1's to, to make people feel guilty if they are in homosexuality, when actually Romans 1 and 2 just to show us all how sinful we are, and that there's not one sin worse than another, and that we all needed to confess and repent and come to Christ. And we're all subject to the same temptations. And, we, and, and if you have got a Weakness in one of those areas, I want to tell you, you are so welcome here this morning. Because you are amongst people who stand by grace. And who are empowered by grace. To say no. And if you've had adultery in your past, you know you have to say no to adultery. If you've had homosexuality in your past, you know you have to say no to homosexuality. But no one sin is worse than another sin. 
But as Christians, so often we gauge and we have levels of sin and make some people feel like that's worse sin than those people. And those people are worse than those people. And you know what? It doesn't come out of the words we say. It just comes out of our body language. I thought I was kidding and bluffing and pulling the wool over my sister's eyes because I was just so gentle and sincere. And I'd share the love of God. But you know, people aren't stupid. I'll say that again. You can't fool all the people all of the time. They know what's really deep down. And they shunned us and kept us at our arm's length for many years. And through a series of circumstances and the death or someone a heart attack, we were brought together and, and something changed in the relationship. Suddenly, they were inviting us into their home and they were come responding to invitations in our home. And the whole atmosphere changed. And I said, what is that? You know what it is? It's when the love of God gets on the inside of you and your righteousness isn't based on your performance and how good you are or how not bad you are. Because we live with this delusion in our lives that when things go well for us, that must be because God's pleased. And God's pleased because I'm doing something. Hello? So when circumstances are going well, and they, that must have something to do with what I'm doing. Because I must be pleasing the, the gods, the deities. And the gospel comes and undercurrents all that and says there's only one whose righteousness we stand in and his name is Jesus. There's only one who, in whom we can be confident and we know that our most righteous acts are as filthy rags. And we know we don't live in an arrogance. And I want to be very careful to warn people that come into the freedom and the liberty of grace that there's an arrogance that that can bring if you're not careful. The arrogance is that us and them. Let me tell you, my friend, you only saw the gospel of grace because it was revealed to you. You cannot take any credit for it. You cannot say, I have a higher learning. I have a higher understanding. No, no, the Holy Spirit came and peeled something off. When we saw that all the accusations that were against us were nailed to the cross. And he dismantled principalities and powers and triumphed over them in the cross. When we come to full confidence in the gospel message that Jesus' perfect life was the perfect life God sees when he looks at you and me. I was chatting to um, Trevor and Liz. They were sharing a similar situation in, in, in the recent weeks of, of being with some family and just feeling a non judgmental love, open doors, receptivity. You see, this is what freedom should produce. Ha- have there been other people like that in our church? Anyone else there that have just had something lifted off of judgmental, critical attitudes towards the sinners? Where, man, we want to hang with people, love people, be real. God, please take all this religion and stained glass window language out of our vocabulary. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, if you were redeemed by the blood, my friend, you would know the road to glory. Hey. It goes right over their head. They don't know what you're talking about.
Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Pray in this passage, our hearts would, be burn, would burn with truth. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1. I'm going to read a parable and then make a few comments. Matthew chapter 20 and from verse 1. While you're turning there, let, let me say, if, if you've had some of those kind of experiences, just a new love, a new openness, a new receptivity to people that are just haven't had that revelation of Christ yet, share those with us. We'd love to hear what God is doing. You know, God is really interested in people. That's his big dream. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And he went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they asked. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first... They expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Just so far for now. Would you say that sounds a little bit unreasonable? If you're in that situation, just a little bit unfair. I mean, you, you've just worked the whole day and, and you receive something and then um, someone else comes along, puts in a few minutes' work and, and gets the same credit. It's kind of, you know, just, it smells a bit like socialism, right? It's like, um, you know, we're all just on the same level, doctors, bus drivers. So in theory, it's all great because there's no greed and there's no blah, 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 blah. We all just do work the same, do the same. But we understand the human race, that capitalism is only the best of, of, of the worst of financial systems. But, uh, but we know how d dangerous socialism is uh, as well. So, uh, and there's no such thing because you've got fallen man you deal with. In theory, in a perfect Christian world, maybe that would be a better form of governance. But we don't have a perfect world because there's greed and there's people involved and there's corruption and there's the, the fallen nature. And we understand this. So, so, so come on, Jesus. Aren't you promoting a kind of, you know, we all do the same. We all do different work, but we all get the same reward. Okay? Let's go on, verse 13. But he answered them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. <laughs> Ever felt like saying that? Take your pay and buy. Take your pay and go. And here's the key. 
I want to give. Underline. I want to give. The man who was hired lost the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right, underline, to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? You see, God's not like us. I know that's very deep. It'll take a while to sink in. took four years of Bible college to get that sorted out. God is not like us. Because He chooses to want to be kind for the sake of His kindness. Not because of what we think we've earned or deserved. Well, I've been a Christian for 45 years, bless God, faithful and committed and done all the right things. And who's this whippersnapper coming up here? Thinks he knows everything, goes up, brings a prophetic word, get in line. Tells me how to bring up my kids. He's got two toddlers. Who does he think he is? Doesn't he know who I am? How long I've been about this business? And Jesus says, those who are last will be first. So it's going to be interesting on that day when the Billy Grahams of the world walk up. And then the Adolf Hitlers possibly walk up. I don't know what happened to him in the last few moments. Maybe he had this, just a sense of his, what he'd done and a repentance was given to him and he confessed and cried out for forgiveness. And now we see Hitler go up. And we hear the angels say, those planets with all that is entrusted to you. And then we see Billy Graham come up. Would, would you be expecting Billy Graham to be getting a bit more? You see, that's how our minds work. We think if I put in so much, I get so much. Favorable circumstances, God must be pleased because what I'm doing. Or the gospel comes and smashes that and says, favorable circumstances, God is pleased all the time, regardless, because he looks at Christ's finished work and Christ's righteousness and not at you and me. Unfavorable circumstances, oh, the deity is not pleased, I must have done something wrong, what was it, what was it, I never invited my mother-in-law for supper last week, what was it, what? no, 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 unfavorable circumstances, happy God, stupid choices. Let's just be honest about consequences. Let's just be honest when we drive into a pole that we weren't looking and stop trying to find a reason why God punished us because we didn't give money to the car God the last time we passed him. Let's just get over that schizophrenia mind game thing that we play with ourselves and just know God is good all the time. Circumstances regardless. Consequences, my own stupid decisions most of the time. And even then God can reconcile them. God is showing through this teaching... That he's, he's not like us. We think we've got to do this to get that and that to get this. God says, no, I'm not like that. Don't I have the right? <laughs> Imagine. I mean, Jesus is telling a, a story, a natural story. Don't, don't read too much into parables. It's a mistake. A parable has got one central thought. Like the parable of the talents. Central thought is you don't use it, you lose it. 
Central thought. Don't read more into it than that. It's mostly for the kingdom here on earth, a kingdom principle. If you've been given a gift, you don't use it, someone else gets it. This is talking about something completely different. This is talking about the character of God. The character of God is not like we think He should be to us. If you, Lord, if you knew about that person, what I know, I know you wouldn't bless them like that. Who do they think they are? God says, don't I have the right to do whatever I feel like doing with that person? What if God, just for the sheer pleasure that he derives from it. Do you get happy when you give a gift? Well, I've got about eight amens there. The rest of you stingy things. <laughs> now, I, I hear this every now and then. There's no such thing as a free lunch, brother. You heard that? No such thing as a free supper or free breakfast. In other words, there's always a little bit of an agenda involved. You know, someone's get something or hear something or get a se- se- seal a business thing or... And we get paranoid about that. But actually, some people just like taking out for lunch. Other people like giving gifts. Other people like being taken for lunch. You wouldn't guess who, okay? But now, now, what if God, what if that brings Him glory? Is when He can just show His goodness regardless of how many hours you worked. What if that makes God thrilled if he's able to just lavish you with his kindness when you know you haven't been a Billy Graham? What if God gets some kind of praise in the big picture of things by giving to us what we don't deserve, what is unearned, and what is amazing called grace? And he gives it to those who've been saved the whole day, half the day, and those who've been saved for one hour. We attach blessing and favor on the things we've worked all day at. God attaches it to his character. And this is what God's dream is all about. God's dream is people. He just loves people. His character That's why he sent his son. That's what the whole gospel is about. That's his dream for all eternity. His bride. And you know what he does? He invites us into that dream. And he invites us through the cross into that dream. That we're going to look back in the eternities of time and everything will be made sense. Every ounce of energy, every cent, every thing we did, every lesson we learned will have been worthwhile. But he's invited us into that dream. And we get to live our dreams out of his big dream. Now I know we've been talking about this dreaming again in 2010. And I'm wanting to link it back into the gospel all the time because we have to keep preaching this. But for some people they're thinking, you talk about dreaming the dream and we hear this testimony, this great testimony. Now this guy's coming and he's coaching the Springbok Sevens. You know, what's my dream? My dream right now, you know, it's just to get a plate of food tomorrow. Or buy a new cell phone next month. (laughs) Not get kicked out of... What if someone... No, no, really, I, I mean, seriously, think about this. What if somebody, the biggest thing on their mind right now is a plate of food tomorrow. Never mind all these other grand visions. And Well, 
we're dreaming again. And you need to dream about that. And you need to trust God for that. And you need to put your faith out for that. But let me prophesy that when you do that, when you connect your prayers to heaven, it says that in heaven there's no lack on earth as it is in heaven. When we start becoming kingdom people and become the channel through which God's provision can start reaching very practical needs, it won't be long before we're not only putting food on our own table, but we're able to put food on our neighbor's table. It won't be long before we can put food on our community's table. If we are truly tapping into the resources of heaven, this thing about dreaming is not just for us. It's not just to some comfortable aspiration of a little island, a yacht, and uh, crocodiles that attack charismatics on sight. This is not an escape route. This is a genuine need to see heaven impact earth. The resources of heaven through your business, through your children, through your life, through your employment in your com- the company where you're at, is that heaven has got an answer for every situation because people matter to God. You are the catalyst. You are the instrument there. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. People are waiting on the other side of your dream to be fulfilled. That thing that's starting to grow inside you, that desire, that longing, when that gets fulfilled, there's other people that are going to be the recipients. Other people's plates that are going to be filled. Other people's unemployment that's going to be resolved. Crises that are going to be attended to. Untreatable sicknesses that are going to be affected. Financial chaos that's going to have ingenuity applied to it. Let me tell you, just stop there for a moment. We can thank our world leaders in a way for the way they handled this last financial crisis. Because the one before that was took 17 years to get out of. What I'm saying is there's some very sharp people out there. But they should be coming from here. We should have the solutions and the answers because we should be dreaming in God and linking into His wisdom and His resources and making a difference. People are waiting for your dream to be answered. It's not just about you. It's not just about your dream. You will find fulfillment and that's the joy of our life. But it's not about you. Who's waiting on the other side? I was so encouraged some years back a guy attended the church service. Afterwards, he came out to me. and He got talking. He says, you, you don't recognize me. I said, no, you look familiar. Just help me. He says, well, I live here in Durban now, and I'm married and got children. I'm in a church down on the bluff somewhere. And I just wanted to come and visit the church because I heard you here. He said, some years back, we were traveling in a lift together. And you had a Bible under your arm. And I was with all my druggy friends and we got into the lift and we started sniggering and making jokes about the Bible. Do you remember that? I said, yes, that reminds me. Of course I remember that. And we walked down and his flat was across from my flat. And we kind of, all the other guys dispersed in different directions and we got out the lift and I walked and he was walking in front of me. He thought I was going to follow him. Thought I had a gun in my Bible, one of those carved out Bibles, you know. And then his door was that side and my door was that side. So yeah, now we go back to back. And I just felt the Spirit of God say to me, prompted me to speak to him. I turned around and I said, have you ever read this book? And he said, no. I said, would you like me to get you one? He said, no. <laughs> and I promptly followed him into his room, into the flat. 
And he sat down and I started sharing my, my testimony with him. As I did, he burst out in tears there. We prayed. The next day, maybe not the next day, but within a few days, I was driving down the main street in Newcastle. This guy was thumbing. I picked him up. It was the same guy and he had a plastic packet under his arm. And he had a Bible he'd just gone and bought. He says, my life was changed. And I thought, you know, one little dream. It was a dream of being able to take this message. I knew as a young believer, I wanted to lead people to Christ and see people come to God. And that little dream had somebody waiting on the other side in that situation. But you know, whatever your dream it is, and it might not be directly preaching the gospel, but I tell you, whatever you're doing is preaching the gospel. There are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. You are the gospel. That dream that God has put inside you as it begins to to grow, there's people waiting on the other side of that dream. So I want to say this dreaming again in 2010. I'm really chuffed that Gavin can come back. He is available for the next two weeks. I think he's got something to deposit. I I think he provokes, he encourages, he challenges. It's always around the gospel. It's always around the gospel of what Jesus Christ did. It always comes back to his dream and the dream that he had. It started in the garden. Where man's disobedience showed that he'd lost trust in God's word. But another came to a different garden and through his obedience... He restored our trust back to God. I wonder if those serving communion, if you can come up quickly, please, and maybe just the keyboards. We're going to take communion this morning. And while they're coming up to serve, can I just ask that you can just share these few thoughts with you? That man has always tried to cover himself, even in the garden, after his nakedness was exposed through his disobedience. And all his disobedience was, was a lack of trust in what God had said to him. Do not eat. Do not touch that. And Jesus came to a garden and in a tree, he cried out, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And, f- and the Bible divides the gospel into first Adam and last Adam. And in first Adam, he was covered in a, in a bloody skin. But in second Adam, in last Adam, Jesus on the cross, when he cried out, it is finished. His blood became our covering. Our covering is no more our self-effort, how long we've worked at it, how good we've been at it. Our covering is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. In both first Adam and last Adam, the Bible says we are slaves. The first Adam we were slave to sin, but in last Adam we are slave to righteousness in Christ. In first Adam there was nothing you could do about your condition. Nothing you did could remove you out of first Adam's position. And the same is true of last Adam. Or else it would be an inferior gospel. But we have a superior gospel. In last Adam, it's not affected by what we do or do not do. We cannot be removed from that covenant unless we willfully deny Christ. In the first garden, under the first Adam, 
sweat ran from their brow after they sinned. They had to work by the sweat of their brow. But the last Adam in the garden, when blood ran down his face, after he was beaten, after the crown of thorns were pressed upon his head, and he lay his head on his chest and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus, who had no place to lay his head when he was on earth, finally found rest and laying his head on his own chest when he gave up the spirit and said, Father, it is finished. Under the old covenant that came out of first Adam, we always felt ashamed, always felt not good enough, always felt like we had to perform to get God's pleasure but under the new covenant the Holy Spirit comes and he reinforces the covenant that Jesus made the Holy Spirit comes and convinces us about our righteousness in Christ he comes and enforces the finished work of the cross revealing to us the better covenant that's who the Holy Spirit is my friend this morning let me ask you who do you think the Holy Spirit is in your life? Is He the one always making you feel guilty and condemned and ashamed? That is not the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to come and encourage you in the work that Jesus did on the cross where He put His righteousness on you, where He forgave your sin, where He gave you a new spirit and you've become a new creation. That is the Holy Spirit. My friend, how does it make you feel to know the Holy Spirit's watching you all the time? All the time. All the time. Does it make you feel a bit nervous and guilty and ashamed? That is not what the gospel should be producing. The gospel should produce that out of that sense of Him watching me, a freedom and a joy and a liberty if I've received the gospel of grace. That is the acid test right there. If I'm living under shame and condemnation out of the the thought of, of Him watching me all the time. Of course the Holy Spirit shows me things where I'm going wrong and, 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 and will convict me of something that is a stupid decision leading to destruction. And I need to confess that and sort that out in my life. By confession I mean agree with God that that is foolish behavior. Because His blood has forgiven me from all my sin. All your sin has been forgiven at the cross where the blood of Jesus flowed. This is the better covenant. This is the covenant that the Holy Spirit comes to remind you and me about. This is the work of the lost Adam, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is not inferior but superior, who sent His Holy Spirit into us to guard us and to lead us and to restore the trust that was broken in the garden. He is our covering. We never have to doubt His intention towards us ever again when we look at the cross and we see amazing grace. Amazing grace. If you've not received the bread or the cup this morning, please raise a hand that we can get to you. Has everybody received? I want to pray two prayers now. I want to pray the first prayer for if you're sitting there and you say, I don't even know if I'm born again. Well, my friend, what you hold in your hands this morning is what Jesus said, my blood that forgives your sins, my body that was broken for you. Put your faith in what Christ did. When you take that communion this morning, you say, God, I receive, I receive the finished work that you did on the cross for me. 
So if that's you right now, just with your eyes closed or open wherever you're sitting, I pray, Father, for a revelation of Jesus Christ to anyone here this morning who does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior. A revelation right now as the veil is lifted off. The veil is lifted off. The veil is lifted off. Now, Lord, I I want to pray for us as a body here this morning that as we take the bread, it was your body broken for us. Amen. Jesus, Jesus took the cup and said, This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of many. those cups down the aisle if we can just stand up together